Let's go ahead this uh, morning and uh, turn to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah. So if you can find where Old Testament, New Testament is, move four books back. So uh, go ahead and, you know, you, you find Matthew and then you go find Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and then you're going to get to Zephaniah. Uh, and Zephaniah is, uh, a, 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 again, the last one that we're going to talk about in regards to these minor prophets. We've, uh, we've, we've talked about, uh, almost every single one of them here. Uh, the only one that we really have not addressed is obviously Zephaniah and Jonah, but Jonah was addressed by Mike Nemeth, uh, for some of those evening services and he covered, uh, covered the intent and, and, and purpose behind, uh, Jonah and, uh, and again, if you haven't heard those messages, you need to make sure you get those and, and, and listen to it. But, uh, but, but Zephaniah is a very unique book and, and I kind of saved it for last. Um, uh, in, in, in the Lord led me in this specifically, um, primarily because of the importance of the message here. And, uh, this is, you know, if, if I had to label Zephaniah or give it a sub, you know, title, I would just put it modern attitudes, modern attitudes, because I see a lot of that today. A lot of what's in Zephaniah I see right now. And, and we're going to address it. We're going to look at it. We're going to see some things that are going on. Um, uh, may not be a long message this morning. Maybe a shorter one. Uh, I say that and the next thing you know is it's about 1.30, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I just want us to understand a couple of things about why God has this in this book. Now again, there's a lot of prophecy. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming true because of this. There's some things in here that have uh, have come true in type, and there's things that are going to come true in actual form later. Uh, there's things that, if you have, if you will, came true at one point that will come true again. Uh, those dual prophecies that we see in Scripture, but uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see what goes on with this book. And Zephaniah has been known as a kind of, you know, again, among theologians, and they talk about this before, you know, what theologians say is kind of, you know, somewhat interesting and then at the same time, not really. But, you know, they, they refer to Zephaniah as the last of the prophets. Uh, before, uh, before, uh, Jeremiah comes into play, before, uh, Daniel starts showing up, he's, he's one of the last prophets before they get called off into captivity. And, uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I, I just know that he, he faced a very difficult ministry, a very difficult ministry. And, and, and we're going to see some of that here in just a moment, but let's go ahead and, uh, um, uh, open with a word of prayer and we'll get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to just get into your word and to understand the concepts that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that we would just take this uh, look this morning at this book in such a way that we would begin to check our attitudes of heart and make sure that we're not conforming to the things of this world, but, Lord, conforming to you, conforming to your will, conforming to your desires, conforming to the new man, conforming to Christ in all, all areas of our life, specifically our heart and our minds, Lord, that we would please you and honor you. 
that we would be Christians that you desire us to be. And Lord, as we, we hear this message this morning, our prayer, our hearts would just be soft, tender, yielded, ready to receive, ready to have the Holy Spirit do a work in us. That Lord, it just wouldn't be one that we'd just take, think about for a moment and then move on. But we'd be one that we use, Lord, to direct us and to guide us in this life that you've given. Thank you again, Lord, for this time and opportunity. Pray you be with my mouth, my thoughts, my words, Lord, that all of this would be pleasing and honoring unto you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this, uh, in this book, I want to start with uh, verse one in, in uh, chapter one of the book of Zephaniah. It says, the word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, this is important. All those names are in there, they're listed, but there's one that's really important. Josiah. What do we know about Josiah? Josiah was that king that was eight years old, and uh, he led Judah uh, into what is known as one of the greatest revivals that ever had happened. This was during Josiah's reign. This was a this was a time of national revival. This was a time when, if you will, God was talked about openly and freely. But here is Zephaniah, and as you read this book, you begin to realize he's talking about judgment of sin. Could you imagine how difficult a ministry would be to start talking about judgment of sin during a time when things are going good? When things are, 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 are looking right. When, when, when God is at the head of the government. Could you, could you imagine right now some preacher getting up there and giving a prophecy about how, uh, the United States is going to be destroyed because of its sin and its idolatry when you've got, say, a president and a Congress and, 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 and a Senate and a Supreme Court and all of them professing to trust Christ as their Savior and saying, we need to get the sin out. And they start making laws against sin and they start, you know, judging sin the way that's supposed to be. And they start pushing this nation to be a Christ-like nation. And the word of God is read in every public school every morning. And prayer is there from somebody that truly believes, by the way. Could you imagine that? A mandate that every day when you go to work and the business day starts, that the manager of that business must pray to the one true God. Could you imagine something like that happening in this country? We look at that and we go, man, that that would be fantastic. That would be amazing. But could you imagine here comes this one little old preacher saying, we're still going to get judged. We're still going to go through it. And if you think it's bad, what happened before, oh, just wait. It's going to be far worse. You know, it kind of points out some issues in regards to this about what happened with Josiah's reign. I want you to go over the book of Jeremiah. You keep your place there in Zephaniah and go to Jeremiah. And in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah points out some things. 
beginning part of his ministry and uh, some things that uh, were happening after Josiah and and kings that uh, were coming in that weren't doing things that were right and and uh, during Jeremiah's uh, um a term as a as a prophet and he saw all sorts of things with different kings but i want to point out the uh, attitude and the mentality in chapter 2 and uh <clears throat> in uh, verse 11 he says half a nation changed their gods which are not uh, which are yet no gods he's asking this question about the nation of israel he says have we really changed Have we really gone away from those things that are false gods? Have we really moved away from those idols that we know are false that can't save? He says, have the nation changed their gods, which are not, uh, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Oh, they were willing to glory in themselves. Look at what we've done. Look at what we're doing now. Look at us. We're serving God. There was no glory being given to God. He says, verse 12, Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, and be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the mountain of living waters and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What did they do? They forgot the source and they became unable to move forward with anything of God. Their lives were broken. You ever try to pour something into something that has a hole in it? It's futile. It just, it won't hold anything. And here we are as Christians, supposedly supposed to be vessels, pouring out the blessings and the word of God out of our lives into other people's lives. But if we're broken cisterns like Israel is, what are we pouring out? Absolutely nothing. Vanity. We just hold air. We just hold air. We think about this going back over there to Zephaniah. We think about this is how he begins to start out. And this is his time of his ministry. A very difficult time. You'd think it would be hard to, to preach during times of affliction. But many times people are more willing to listen during their affliction. They're more willing to hear when things are not going well. But, oh, man, when things are going great, it's kind of the deaf ear, right? Sounds like another, if you will, connection to a, a specific group of people in an area called Laodicea, right? Turn over there to the book of Revelation. Again, keep your place there in Zephaniah. We'll come back to it. This is all setting the stage for, if you will, what God's going to tell us. But over there in um, in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3, here he is uh, talking to uh, the church at Laodicea in verse 14. 
And he says, an angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I wert, uh, I, excuse me, I would thou wert cold or hot. He's like, I either want you just like either totally against me or I want you totally for me. It's, it's, it's like what Elijah said. You're either going to serve Baal or you're going to serve God. Why stand you halt between two opinions? There's no fence riders. But, oh, man, don't we like to ride that fence? One foot in the world and one foot in the church, right? Ought not be. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That doesn't sound well. You ever have that happen or you get something in your mouth that you just like, whether it's the texture, the temperature, the taste, whatever it is, it's like that is going to become a projectile. Three, two, one, launch. And it's gone. I've had things in my, you know, know, food that I ate. The one time I, I was, you know, I had shark. Something about it, that shark hit the, hit my tongue and my tongue went, I don't know what this is, but it is foreign and it needs to be expelled at this moment. <laughs> right there on the, t- the plate. <laughs> Again, we think of that, but, but that's how God thinks about that mentality. Okay. He, he, he is, he's not, he is not fond of anything that has to do with this type of thought process and this attitude. And he's, he, he goes on, he says, because uh, thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. During Josiah's reign, man, they had all sorts of great stuff. They had a Passover like nobody's ever had before. There was never a king that was like him. But what happened? As soon as Josiah was gone, went right back to it, didn't it? He didn't even take a generation. Makes you wonder if that revival was really revival. Or was it just superficial? You know, a lot of times that's what happens. You have an altar call. Somebody comes down to the altar and they pray at the altar. They pray and they pray and they pray. And then they get up and they walk right out the church door and they go right back to it. They sit there, they get convicted during a message. They think about it during the week. They make a New Year's resolution in the middle of the month. And say, I'm going to start living for the Lord. Two days into it, they're right back to where they were. Dog returning to its own vomit, right? We've got dogs in our house. We're very familiar with that concept. <laughs> you're just like, stop it! Stop it! You know, here's all these cute little innocent little puppies, and you're like, oh, they're so cute. And then they like, do the most disgusting thing. And you're like, gross! Stop it! My image of you is fallen! 
And God compares us to dogs <laughs> and pigs and sheep. <laughs> think about those creatures. But again, this is, this mentality is this is how it disgusts God. And he says, you know, this is, this is what, what happens is you think you've got all of it, but you really, you're just hollow inside. You might be nice on the outside, but you've got a gaping hole or a crack in you that's just flowing out all every, everything that we're trying to put in, everything that, that the Lord's trying to do, everything that the, the, the Holy Spirit is, has been working in your life. It just gets, flows right out. There's no holding it. There's no pouring it out. And, and, and we see here that he, you know, he obviously counsels them to, to, to repent. And, and again, he is talking to believers there, which is very interesting when you start going to the knocking on the door part over there in Revelation chapter 3, trying to gain entrance to have fellowship. But here we are going back over to Zephaniah, and we begin to see some things getting painted about Zephaniah's ministry. Because he begins to talk about things that are going to happen. You know, go over there to, uh, um, to, to chapter two of, of Zephaniah, chapter two, and, and I want to point this out. And here he is, he's talking about, uh, uh, Moab and he's talking about them going to be judged. And, and Zephaniah is a unique book. Uh, you know, not only is it at a unique time with national revival, in peace during Josiah's reign, but it also encompasses a lot of judgment, not just necessarily for Israel, but for the rest of the earth. And we'll see this here in just a minute. But here he is talking to Moab and, and, and things that they're going to do and how, what's going to happen to them. But, but here's the reason why Moab gets judged. In verse 10, this shall they have for their pride. Because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts. I'm better than you are. Nah, 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 nah. That kind of mentality. And while that may seem juvenile and immature, that's what pride is. Juvenile and immature. When we start looking at why they're getting judged, it's because of the sin of pride. And, and, and again, I want to mention something here about this, because we're going to get into this in just a minute. Pride breeds a whole host of other sins. This morning we talked about envy. This bread from pride. And there are two here that we're going to wind up seeing with the nation of Israel and Judah. Some things that, that wound up getting bred into them, if you will. Some sins that showed up because of pride, because of arrogance, because, hey, they thought, they thought they had a good relationship with God, but they really didn't. You know, Israel's sins are outlined in chapter 3. You go over there in chapter 3 and in verse 1 through 4, it says, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. He's specifically talking about Jerusalem there. She obeyed not the voice. I want you to see here the list of sins. Lack of obedience. Why are we in the position we are in today? Lack of obedience. Who disobeyed? Adam and Eve. 
don't eat that fruit. And what did they do? They ate that fruit. Disobedience. Disobedience. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. You realize that it's a big sin when God comes and he corrects you and you refuse that correction? When, when, when conviction comes of the Holy Spirit and you're sitting there going, oh man, I need to do something about this. And then you go, mm, probably not. You have just sinned yet again. You're not obeying the voice of the Lord. See how quickly they start mounting up? This is what happens to the nation of Israel. This is what happens to lives of believers all the time. Take a look at the third one. She trusted not in the Lord. Why is it so hard to trust what God says? Why is it so hard for us as believers to sit down and say, yeah, that's what God says. I'm going to believe it. I don't understand it. I'm never going to understand it. There is absolutely no way on on the face of the earth I am ever going to understand everything that's in Scripture. I will, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, the stuff that goes on over there in the book of Revelation and they're talking about all those creatures and everything like that. I have no idea. I don't don't know. Stuff coming out of Euphrates River, stuff coming out of bottomless pit, all that type of stuff that's going on. I don't know. I don't plan on being here. (laughs) Plan on getting out of here. That's not for me. I don't want any part of that. But I'll tell you this, I don't know what that means. All I know is that it's the judgment of God coming upon people that have for a long time pushed him away. Which if you notice, what's the next thing? She drew not near to her God. This is what the iniquity and the filthiness and if you will, the pollution that creates an oppressive life, that creates a life of sin, that creates one where you're in bondage. Have you ever been that to that time in your life where, where, where sin has been so prevalent that you yourself felt oppressed by it? People talk about oppressed individuals today in the form of social justice, and I get it. Uh, I understand that, you know, people are being oppressed by other individuals that are out there. But let's just talk about first and foremost, before I can even deal with any of that, I have to deal with the oppression of sin. And the only thing that's going to fix that is Jesus Christ. The more Jesus Christ, the more word of God, the more trusting him, the more obeying him, the more listening to his correction, the more that we draw near to God, the less that will occur. The more God there is, the more freedom there is. Because wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty. 
And he, he goes through this and he says, her princes within her are roaring lions, her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Now, this is a very interesting element here that he talks about that he clarifies, if you will, in the very first chapter. He points this out, that this violence that they've done toward, to the law, you know, people talk about this today, talking about words being violence. I'll tell you this, there's actions of violence that the Lord talks about in scripture that we don't always think of as violent. I want you to see one specifically. It's called compromise. You realize that compromise is the, comes straight from the sin of pride? Do you realize that uh, the next thing that's associated with that compromise is indifference? If I had to give one definition of the Laodicean church, I would say they were indifferent. They were indifferent. They did not care. Take a look at chapter 1 of Zephaniah and see what's going on here specifically in verses uh, 4 through 5. It says, uh, I will uh, stretch out my hand upon Judah. And here he is talking about this judgment that's coming and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. Baal was still being worshipped. Even though Josiah outlawed it. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the Sheremans with the priests. Now that word is only used once here in scripture. And it specifically is referencing priests that had given themselves over to idolatry. But they were still priests. You know what they were doing? <clears throat> they were performing acts of the priesthood in the temple. At the same time, they were performing acts of priesthood to false gods. They allowed sin to come in and make a compromise. We can serve both God and Baal at the same time. We can serve both God and mammon at the same time. I, 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 I can live my life the way I want to live it and still please God. That mentality. Compromise. Compromise. In verse four here, he says, I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah and as, uh, uh, excuse me, in verse five, it says, and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops. And them that worship and swear by the Lord and that swear by Melisham. Melisham is another name for that lovely God of the Amorites called Molech. How can you worship Molech and offer your children unto that God and say you serve God? Say you serve the Lord. I mean, we see a dangerous trend there. 
And dare I say, you know, when I started talking about modern attitudes, do we not see the modern attitude of the day? Do we not see the, the, the importance of, of where God's saying we need to stand for the things of truth and for righteousness? And here he is saying, look, we've got, we've got, if you will, people that are supposed to be religious leaders worshiping sin and God at the same time, which is you can't do. You've got individuals here that are uh, worshiping all of the stars of heaven, if you will, the signs of the zodiac and praying to the sun and praying to the moon, all at the same time that they're worshiping Molech. And oh, by the way, we've got a little bit of God in there too. Isn't God a jealous God? God being, you know, as we saw this morning, who he is with his, with his power of creation. And, and there's this mentality of, uh, hey, uh, we're going to go ahead and worship everyone else. At the same time, we're worshiping God. You know, a lot of people try that today. But the gods have taken on a different name other than Moloch and Ashtaroth and Baal and uh, all the other Hymnon, all those other gods back there of the Old Testament and things of that nature, Dagon. We've got all sorts of different gods today. We've got gods in marriage with spouses and gods in families with children. We've got gods in in, in the career and the workforce, we've got gods in, in, in media and, and the quote unquote stars that people worship. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you this. It's really sad if a Christian knows a lot more about the royal family and what's going on there than they know the, than they know the Bible. If you know more about what's going on with Harry and whoever he married and, and, and Prince whoever is in charge now and the queen and all of that, if you know more about that than you know about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ said and where he came from and all of that, I think there's a problem. And sometimes people know more about those things. Sometimes people know more about their workplace than they know about what's in the Bible. People know more about their job than they know about what they're supposed to do as of the vocation wherein they're called, according to Scripture. As I've said time and time again, I have a plethora of worthless knowledge rolling around in my head that should not be there. Stuff I studied and learned that I should have, oh, nobody should ever learn that. It's rolling around upstairs for, for, for no reason at all. Other than I chose to fill my mind with that. You fill your mind with that, it affects your heart. It turns you exactly what I, you know, started to become. That lone, introverted person that wanted no part of life. That led to a dark hole of depression and suicidal thoughts. That's how quickly it'll lead you. You worship that stuff? 
By the way, I was going to church when that happened. I was reading my Bible when that happened. I still loved the Lord and was witnessing when that happened. Don't be, don't, don't deceive yourself. That'll get you. Why? Because I was indifferent. I was indifferent towards God. And, and, and it aligns with the sins of today where, where, where they just didn't care. Take a look at what happens in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, here he is talking about them in verse 6. He says, and them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. You know what they did? It didn't matter. They didn't pray. They didn't seek him. They didn't go out there. And we go over to chapter 2 and verse 3, and what is the Lord specifically calling them to do? He's saying exactly what they should have been doing in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He's saying, seek me, seek me, seek me. What he told, if you will, the the church at Laodicea, I'm at the door knocking, let me in. And what happens? They're indifferent. I've got other priorities. I got other things I got to take care of. God will get to you when I can. Take a look at verse 12. You know what that mindset becomes? It becomes a false doctrine. Take a look at verse 12. And it came to pass at that time I will search Jerusalem with candles and uh, punish men that are settled on their lees. That say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Because they're indifferent, they think God's going to be indifferent. They think God's indifferent to sin. He is not. He hates it. It's an abomination. He says it should be have no part of a Christian's life. Here he is saying their mindset had become such that they thought that God didn't care. Why was that? Because they didn't care. If I was to give a phrase of what the world is today, the world doesn't care. The world doesn't care. You've got all of these individuals going out there doing these things and, 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 and look, trust me, I, I totally understand. You got progressives going out there and what are they trying to do? They're trying to change the world. They're trying to get people to care. Now, again, they're going about it very wrong. Okay. And you're always going to have that. Got some people on, on the right too, doing the exact same thing. But you know what both parties are doing? They're doing it without God. They're worshiping something else other than God. 
And, and, and I'll tell you this, both of them kind of ins, insinuate that they follow God somewhat. But the fact is, is none of them are doing exactly what he tells them to do in chapter 2, verse 3. Look at that there. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. And if you will, the one key thing that keeps us from indifference and keeps us from pride and keeps us from complacency and keeps us from compromise is this. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. What is that? It's seeking God. It's seeking God. When a person is seeking meekness, when a person is seeking righteousness, the only place that they can find that is in the Lord. Which is why he starts off in verse 3 right there. He says, seek ye the Lord. There it is in the middle part of this book, if you will, the core of everything. Now I'm going to show you a principle here. This is this is this is kind of cool. What is this book about? What is the Bible about? Seeking the Lord. You open the pages and what do you find? You find God. You find Jesus Christ. You find his thoughts on sin. You find his thoughts towards you. You find his love. You find exactly who God is. Right here. And what is he telling the nation of Israel? What is he telling as he says there very specifically, all ye meek of the earth, all mankind, every last one of them, what is he saying? Seek me. Seek me. Now I want you to see something here and take a look at this. What's the very first part of chapter 1, verse 1? The word of the Lord. What's the very last part of the last verse of the last chapter, chapter 3? Saith the Lord. You have got a book that, if you will, is bracketed, bookended, however you want to put it, by the word of God. And in the middle of it, it says, seek ye the Lord. In the midst of revival, in the midst of peace, in the midst of prosperity, God is still crying out to his people to seek him. God is still desperately calling to men and women of this earth to find him. To see him and to get a hold of what he has for them. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. This book, Zephaniah, is a small little book. Sometimes people just kind of glance over it in the reading. But if you look at it, how it's structured, how it's put together, talking about Israel, talking about 
Judah, talking about its neighbors, talking about the earth, talking about other countries, other nations, other kingdoms, all calling out saying, you've got to serve God. Put away the sin. Seek ye the Lord. Seek ye the Lord. And you know what? It goes all the way back to the garden. goes all the way back to the garden. Do you know what was necessary for Adam and Eve in the garden? The word of the Lord. Because that's what was walking around in the garden. The voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. Well, who's the voice of the Lord? First chapter of John identifies it as Jesus Christ. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. See this principle here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Nation of Israel is getting ready to go into the land. And I want you to see this. In verse 1, it says, All the commandments which I command thee this day you shall do, uh, observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to approve thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. Sometimes you, you, you wonder why you go some, through something in life. And trust me, those 40 years in the wilderness were not a picnic. They weren't going out having a nice camping hike. It was, there was some difficulty that was involved in that. Uh, I want you to think about this for a second. Sometimes when you're going through affliction and you go, you ask God why, it may be a test to see whether or not you're going to obey Him. Difficulty in your life, it might be a test of whether or not you're going to obey God. Moving on, though, to verse 3. He says, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now, who quoted that verse? Under what circumstances? The temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man doth not live by bread alone. And the parallel passage over in Luke 2. What was Jesus Christ quoting? He was quoting Deuteronomy. You don't live just by the physical things of this life. Just because there's peace and prosperity doesn't mean anything. Just because you had a great Sunday service doesn't mean anything. Just because you've had one of the best Passovers or potlucks, depending on whichever one you are, (coughs) doesn't mean anything. What it comes down to is what are you living by? 
talked about living by faith last time. Now we're talking about living by the Word of God. Well, how does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. See how that connects? Here's God saying very clearly, I want you to seek me. And I'm going to bracket this book by my words. This is what I'm going to contain in here. And to get to the root of what Zephaniah's prophecy is about, it's about, are we going to listen to the Lord? Are we going to seek Him? Are we going to get rid of the sin of indifference in this life, thinking that that we have everything that we need? Look, just because there's money in the bank account and the bills are paid and you have food in the freezer and food in the refrigerator and food in the pantry and everybody seems happy does not mean that you're living godly. It does not mean that you're living righteously. It means you're blessed. It means you should be thankful. It means you should be content. It means that you need to be giving praise to God because you didn't put it there. It means very clearly that, that, that we remove ourselves from the indifference of life. And I'll tell you this, many times when people get blessed, that's what happens. Do a quick show of hands. Have you been blessed? Every last one of us should be having our hands up saying we've been blessed by God. Are you saved? Amen. You've been blessed. Amen. You have a home in heaven. That's right. You have forgiveness of sins. Amen. What more could you ask for? You have an eternal life with the one that loved you enough to die on a cross for you. What more could you want? Why would we be indifferent to that? Over in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses warns them, doesn't he? You need to remember what God did for you. You need to remember that when you were hungry, God allowed you to get there so that you would receive a blessing from God that nobody else had received before. Manna. Anybody in here eat manna? Yeah, I I haven't. Angel food cake is not manna, okay? That's just air. <laughs> now I don't know. Some of that hollow bread that you know you with the egg and the braided and stuff like that, yeah, it might be getting close, but no, it's not. But man, to be provided by bread from heaven. That God gives. How do you make bread in the sky? You ever think about that? Or, or, okay, you know, if it comes down from heaven and it just shows up like dew, it's there. Okay, did it come from the ground? Was it, was it shrooms? I mean, you know, obviously it wasn't. It was bread. 
the unique thing. Spoils every single day except on the Sabbath. How does the bread know how to do that? It's not about the bread. And you know what happens? Because the nation of Israel got so focused on the bread. They 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 began to despise the bread. They despise the blessings of God. And when they despise the blessings of God, they despise the God that gave it to them. And they became indifferent. God doesn't care. Look, I'm here to tell you today, you can believe me or not, God cares. God truly cares. You know, when you're going through that dark time and you don't think you have anyone else, you know who there, who's there with you? God. You can turn to him. But we live in a society and a world that goes, really? You going to pray during a time like this? Really? You're going to rely on God to help you? And they mock. And my response is, yes, I am. I am. Everything I have is his anyways. As I said this morning, even the corn dog, that's his. Not mine, it's his. Everything is of God. You don't think he cares? God's always cared. Romans 5, 8, God committeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A God that doesn't care doesn't do that. And the nation of Israel had grown so indifferent, so uncaring, so compromising, bringing in all sorts of other things into the worship service, bringing all sorts of other things into their worship life, bringing all sorts of other things into their spiritual life. Because they're like, God doesn't care. You know what it became about? What made them feel good. Because when we get into that prosperity mindset, it's about making us feel good. But God says, no, it's not about you. Let's be humble about this. You didn't bring the prosperity. You didn't bring the blessings. It was all from God. Could you imagine preaching that message during a time like that? I knew pastors that were struggling trying to 
bring messages when things were like really, really, really good in this country. Everybody wants to go back to that. Everybody wants to go back to, you know, us being number one. There's a problem with that. The United States isn't number one. God is. He's the preeminent. He's the one that we follow. He's the one that we believe. He's the one that we love. He's the one that we seek. And all these promises that he talks about, even in Zephaniah, and all the judgments that are coming, all these things, it comes down to this. What is it we're going to do with our life? Here we are with the word of the Lord, and here is thus saith the Lord, all right there, what are we going to do? In the middle of it, it comes down to, are we going to seek God? We're going to seek him during our time of affliction? Is that only when we seek God? Or are we going to seek him during a time of peace? That verse right there in chapter 2 and verse 3 really summarizes the entire book. Because he's saying, look, you know, God's God's judgment's coming. And it would be good to be hid during that time. Protected, kept safe, away from harm. So if you want to do that, And he talks a little bit about the remnant in this for the nation of Israel that you see over there in tribulation period. You know what he says? He says, you want to do that? First stop, seek the Lord. Second, seek righteousness. Third, seek meekness. Seeking the Lord, seeking to do what is right, seeking to be humble and understand who God is and to trust him with it. That's the most important part of meekness. You can't be meek if you don't trust God. Because the meek in heart says, the Lord will handle it. The Lord will take care of it. Modern attitudes in the days of Zephaniah and Josiah. We see parallels today. Let's not be indifferent. Let's not grow complacent. Let's not grow in a, in a means of compromise about what is important in our life. Let's just seek the Lord. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time that you've given us. I thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to get into your word and, Lord, to to hear what you have for us. I pray, Lord, that as we think on these things, that, Lord, it would be very clear to us what we need to do in our life. Lord, maybe there's some things that we need to push aside. Maybe there's some things that need to be set away from us and put away. And Lord, maybe we need to start putting on more of you in our life every single day. Lord, if we're here this morning and there is that conviction, if there is some draw here, Lord, 
that it needs to be clo- that we need to be closer to you, Lord. I pray we would heed it. The Lord, we would not just ignore the correction, but Lord, we would follow it in obedience. The Lord, we would trust you. And Lord, we desire to be near to you every single day. Thank you again, Lord, for just teaching us, showing us the things from your word. Just a simple, small book like Zephaniah, Lord, has such a great, powerful impact in our life. Lord, I pray that as we continue to read, that, Lord, you would reveal more and more and more of this to us. I thank you again for all that you've done. Above all, for the salvation that we have through you. And this I ask and pray in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.